morning. Good morning. I'm Rhonda Feynman, and this is Healthy Options. Our guest today is Tara Young. She is the Drug-Free Communities Program Coordinator for Healthy Acadia in Hancock and Washington Counties. She is certified as a prevention specialist working with community partners to foster a healthy and resilient community and to help to prevent substance misuse and addiction. She also conducts training to educate youth, parents, professionals, and community members about positive social development and about the physical and behavioral health risks associated with substance use, misuse, and addiction. Tara Young holds a BA in psychology from the University of Wisconsin-Madison and from St. John's College in Standish, Maine. She received an MBA, MBA focusing on leadership. She's also a certified master resilience trainer through the Positive Psychology Center at the University of Pennsylvania. We're happy to have Tara Young here with us today to tell us about the important work she is doing with Healthy Acadia and to hear how this model is being used around the country and perhaps how it can be applied to other communities as more people become aware of it. Welcome to Healthy Options, Tara Young. Thank you. Yeah, so you have been doing this a while. I guess the first question is what is resiliency and what are we talking about as we uh, continue to have this conversation? Sure. Resiliency is the ability to grow and thrive in the face of challenges, and everybody has challenges. Some people have more challenges than others just based on their um, neurobiology or their uh, situation in life, what they're born into, You know, whether it's socioeconomic status or um, uh, you've talked about ACEs before in your program, so adverse childhood experiences. Um, and learning these resilient skills uh, as a young person can help people face these challenges. So while we're also working to prevent adverse childhood experiences, uh, we can also be looking to train people in uh, these skills that promote resilience so that they can um, face any unexpected consequences and have skills to uh, help them get through those obstacles in their lives. Well, that's always an important thing to have these skills. I know we have done many programs here at Healthy Options about trauma resiliency, and we'll have all of those uh, links at the end of of the show. Um, And that was having to do, again, trauma resiliency. Mm -hmm. And but I think some of the things that you're learning, it's great to to learn about a different model, and how that's being used in in the world. So I think it was developed more in the military setting. But here we are being able to use it in in civilian life and in and actually in schools. How how are you? How does that get translated? So I was trained in this in this model that was um, developed actually originally for eighth grade students uh, across the country for the University of Pennsylvania. And then the military saw the um, data that they had and saw how useful it was and thought that since, you know, our soldiers and service members are exposed to so much additional stress and trauma with, um, you know, family separation and deployment and experiences of war, uh, that they would try this model. And it has been very successful uh, with the military as well. But it was originally developed for um, a general population of eighth grade, you know, for an eighth grade audience. Uh, And that's usually uh, about the age that I'm presenting to. So sometimes a little younger, sometimes a little older. And I also like to um, make sure that the parents know what skills their, their children are learning as well. Do you do things with the with the adults as well? 
Yes, we have had a few different community presentations so that adults can come and learn a few different skills. Uh, I've trained a child care center's uh, staff on some resilient skills. Uh, so just usually the teachers are learning it with the students when I'm in a classroom so that they can carry that on and, and help reinforce the lessons that we're teaching. So what do you... You, when we were having our com- pre pre interview conversation, yes. as it were, we, you were also talking about how some of this work is is really reducing the ideas of bullying and yes. and these other aspects of of our lives. I guess many adults should learn how to do this as well. Absolutely. Don't you think? Well, one of the things that I I talk to kids when I have, especially when I have enough time to have multiple sessions with them, is that resilience is not an individual. Occurrence. It's a team sport. So true resilience comes from having resilient systems and resilient communities, um, from providing support, because even the most resilient person isn't going to be resilient all the time. And even if you know these resilient skills really well, sometimes when you're facing adversity, you can't pull them out and use them. You're just not in that place where you can do that. I teach these skills, and I've taught them to lots of people, and I've had times where people I've taught the skills to have said, hey, remember this skill? Uh, maybe we should do this right now because, you know, you're, you're, you're stressing over this a lot, and you, I can see that you're distressed. So they'll, they'll remind me of a skill, and I'll sit down and be like, okay, I can do this. And it's really helpful. So even, even people that really know the skills and really understand them well benefit from having others around them to help them out when when they're facing adversity. I, I think we have to dig right in and find out what some of these skills are. I know yes. people are sitting at the edge of their seats. So um, how, how do you approach this? What what do we do? To, some of uh, this, how do we become resilient, Tara? That's a great question. <laughs> some of these skills are so easy, and you're going to be like, well, that's obvious. And they've done research to show that this stuff works. And you're like, they need research for that? It should be really obvious. But one of the ones I love and can teach in just like a few minutes is called Hunt the Good Stuff. And all of our brains have a negativity bias. Our brains are hardwired to remember the bad stuff, the scary stuff, the dangerous stuff. So I think most people, if you think back to grade school, you can remember a specific mean thing that somebody said, very specific, like that whole situation, the person, what they said, what was going on, that can all come back to you in just a moment because we can recall those negative things because our brains are hardwired to remember those. If I asked you to remember a specific positive thing, it might be a little more difficult. Uh, but our brains are wired that way because back in our cave person days, that kept us alive. So the person that was afraid of spiders and went, oh, spider, and I know where to look for those spiders and knows where to look for those snakes and remembers where the saber-toothed tiger lives, that person stayed alive and passed on their but, but, DNA to us. Let's not, you know, sure. bad-mouth all the spiders. You no. Know, people are, you know. They're, 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 you know, <laughs> they do a lot of great things for us, too. And I, I'm not afraid of spiders, personally, but... <laughs> well, Yes. People don't be afraid of spiders. Pass those genes on to us. It's totally normal. It's totally natural. But we can rewire our brains to think more positively just by looking for a few good things every day. So that helps to create positive emotion and gratitude if we notice three good things that happen every day. And there's a lot of research that shows that this can help counteract that negativity bias. So there's a lot of different ways you can do it. You can write down three good things. You can ask 
a person at dinner, what their three good things are, and then share your good three, three good things, and then reflect on those um, good things. So if I share a good thing like today, I had a really amazing grilled cheese sandwich for lunch. My reflection could be like, why, why did this good thing happen? This good thing happened because my daughter made spicy cheese bread yesterday from scratch, and so I had this amazing bread to make it on. Um, what does this mean to me? Um, having that time where I've, I've shared all these um, many, many times that I've shared my cooking knowledge with my daughter, she's been able to take those lessons to heart. And now she makes amazing things on her own and just spreads joy through food everywhere. And it's just great. <laughs> Yay. What can I do to get more of these good things in my life? Maybe I could teach my sons to cook. <laughs> there you go. Why <laughs> then not? They can make some more good things. You know, maybe they'll start making, they'll probably make hamburgers that's their favorite hamburgers and pizza those are their favorite foods well, so i can teach them to make hamburgers and pizza and then i'll have more hamburgers and pizza in my life and um what ways did i or other people to contribute to this good thing again that kind of goes back to you know i taught her to cook so let's so notice what's reflect. happening mm-hmm. uh, even our audience what's happening is we reflect on uh, on on this lovely experience that tara young is is describing for us so i'm feeling I'm in my level of sensation, as we would say, is I'm feeling calm and I, I'm, I'm smiling. Where are people smiling out there going, wow. Some people could be going into, wow, I wish my daughter would just, you know, bake some bread. Um, so how, how, you know, what happens in our physiological bodies yeah. as, we, as we learn these things? So you- when we hunt our own good things, and especially when we share them, uh, we start to feel those positive emotions, and positive emotions increase our productivity, they increase our positive thinking, um, they increase our creativity, and they do calm us down and we feel good. But we feel the same to some extent when somebody shares their positive experiences with us as, as well. As we're finding right here, yeah. I'm, I'm thrilled, and I'm getting a little hungry. But um, <laughs> the, I should have brought some spicy I, cheese bread. That would have been the right thing to do. Clearly. Okay. But we'll, we're not going to go negative. Time. We're not going into scarcity. We have no. plenty plenty of, of things to be optimistic about. Me too. So... You know, we can we can do that if you're in a trauma mm-hmm. state or if if you've had a very difficult thing. I imagine one has to practice this possibly oh, yeah. not when you're in it or or you have to learn it and then be able to we call it a resource possibly right. to be it, able to conjure. It's something to practice every day. So even if you know, you might have days where you cannot think of one thing that went right, like everything went wrong, but you know, you have to look deeply and say, you know, maybe I, nothing went right, but I'm still alive. I'm still here. Um, I got up this morning. That was reframing of what's positive. There's there's always some way to look at it positively. And this is not to deny or minimize real issues and difficulties. Um, that is not what this is looking to do. But when we look at what we do have, those feelings of gratitude and um, positive thinking do help us get through those difficulties. So we, here you have uh, hunt the good stuff to mm-hmm. counter the negativity. And we're like, what does this good? Th- why did this good thing happen? What does this good thing mean to me? How can I do to get more of this good thing? Mm-hmm. And we're talking about healthy good things, of right. course. <laughs> yeah. And 
do you work with noticing do you have the kids notice the nervous system or notice how, what, what, yes. what happens when when I go through this I, I teach them the skill I've got some little slides with minion gifts and things that they tend to make them happy anyway and then they um, pair up and they share a good thing that happened usually that day and sometimes I'm doing this at nine o'clock in the morning so they have not had a lot of day yet mm-hmm. and most of the time most of the kids can come up with something good that happened that day um, which is great and sometimes I, I tell kids it's, it's okay if you have to go to yesterday because you know it's nine o'clock and it's Monday so right. <laughs> maybe we can go back to Sunday and, and you'll have a good thing and then they're they're usually yeah we can do that we can do that yep so they they share their good thing and then we talk about how it feels when they share their good thing and how it feels when the other person shared the good thing with them. And we talk about that our brains have mirror neurons. So when somebody shares something positive with us, we feel good. And if we share something positive with someone, they will feel good as well as us. And this is kind of where the bullying comes in. I also tell them that it might make you feel good for just a few seconds to say something mean or hurtful, but it does not increase your happiness for very long. And I want you to notice that next time you say something that hurts somebody, you'll notice that it does not make you feel good. Um, And that does not increase the net amount of happiness going around. So when our friends and classmates are happier, in the long run, we're happier also. We aren't happier when people around us are unhappy. So the, the, the great example, you've walked in a room, somebody had just had an argument. Mm-hmm. You can feel it. Yeah. You know, you like, whoa, what's going on in here? Or somebody's been laughing, like, what? What's so funny? Um, so we, our bodies and our energy feels, we're really connected in that way, aren't we? Do the kids get that? And you're they dealing do. with what? 14-year-olds or 7th grade, 8th grade? Anywhere, anywhere from 6th to 9th to grade is, is the typical audience of what I've been doing lately. Yeah, and they do. They get that. Well, what about the chronic bullier? I mean, there's going to be someone in there who's, for whatever reason, uh, did, have you noticed uh, changes happening with the, uh, the diehard troubled individual? who? I don't have any really good anecdotal evidence for that, except um, not in the class. I had a a student who I think was a fifth grader, and he had an older brother, and he said that his older brother never had anything nice to say to him, and that he had a very negative relationship with his brother, and it made him sad, and that he wished that his brother was nicer. And this was as we were talking about having someone to teach these skills to, because I tell the kids the best way to learn this is to go home and teach it to someone else. So if you have a sibling, a parent that you think will listen, um, even if you're just teaching it to a cat, a dog, or a stuffed animal, just going through the practice of trying to, to teach it will help you remember it and learn it and really understand it. And this little guy said he wanted to teach it to his brother, but he didn't think his brother would listen because every time he talks to his brother, his brother would be like, so that's dumb, or I don't care. And I said, well, why don't you start with Hunt the Good Stuff and you don't have to actually teach it to him. Just ask him about something good that happened today. And I said, just do that once every day, just one time. Ask him about something good that happened. And then I taught him another skill, which is called active constructive responding. So when somebody shares a good thing, there's four ways we can respond, but only one of them helps um, to build that relationship and build that connection, and that's by showing genuine interest and basically by asking these reflection questions and going a little deeper and helping them savor that positive experience. So he said he was going to try that, and then I came back a week later, 
And he said the first two days, his brother was like, kind of just didn't say anything. And on the third day, he, he shared something. And then he was able to, to have that conversation. He's like, and now, like, he talks to me more. And he's not as mean. And we, we like, play together once in a while. And over the course of the few weeks that I was there, his relationship with his brother improved quite a bit. And he was really happy about that. Powerful. That's a great, that's a great anecdote. Great, great story. If you are just joining us, uh, this is Healthy Options on WERU Community Radio. I'm your host, Rhonda Feynman. We're speaking today with Tara Young. She's a master resilience trainer and certified prevention specialist and the coordinator of the Drug-Free Communities Program at Healthy Acadia. So we're in the, the steps of this process of learning how to be resilient and we're talking in this case about kids but obviously it's useful for everybody so we're activating event thoughts and consequences number three yeah what does that mean we we got a little bit of that but so every tell me more every um everybody has things that happen that are what we would call an activating event probably every day we have at least one activating event so that can be anything that gives us strong emotions or it acts as a trigger for, you know, something. And this skill just helps people slow down and really understand that the event does not cause whatever they did because of the event. There's a lot that happens in between. So the event happens, we have thoughts about that event, and our thoughts are what lead to our emotions and reactions. And emotions and reactions are what are called the consequences. Um, and we are in, we have a lot more control over the thoughts than we think we do. So once we learn about that process and really understand that, sometimes we can slow down in the moment and understand the thoughts that we're having and understand how that's going to lead us to feeling a certain way and those feelings might lead us to doing a certain thing. And then when we get really good at it, we can just stop and go, wait a minute, I'm going to think about this in a different way. So, for example, um, if I have a coworker who drives me crazy, like everything they say I want to disagree with. Um, so they might make a suggestion at a staff meeting, and my thought is, oh, that guy is just such a jerk. I can't stand him. And I'm not even thinking about what he said. I'm just thinking about that guy's such a jerk. I can't stand him. And that thought is going to lead to my reaction to be like, well, I don't think that's a good idea because, and then I'm just going to be contrary. I'm going to have those emotions that are like, you know, contrary and grumpy and irritated, and then I'll be argumentative. And instead, if I, if I realize that I'm falling into this pattern with this person, I can go, okay, wait a minute. I'm going to slow down. I'm going to listen to what, what the actual suggestion was. Then I'm going to evaluate, you know, is this really a good suggestion or not? And then base my reaction, my emotion and reaction on, you know, what is the actual content of what he said instead of my emotional reaction that I just don't like this person. So how do we learn that? I mean, it's super hard. (laughs) It's so much easier to say it. You have to practice. Like everything, all these skills, it just takes practice. So here it says you're separating your trigger right from your thoughts right and then moving from there so you're listening carefully yeah right so in the beginning it's really important um usually we're going to have to go back and do something that already happened go oof i did not handle that well 
so I'm going to go back and write down, you know, Jim made a comp, a, a, a suggestion at work, and my thought was, this guy's such a weirdo and a jerk, and I don't like him. And then my emotion was irritability and grouchiness, and my reaction was to be argumentative. And then I'll look at that and go, was my emotion and reaction, were my thoughts helping or harming in the situation? And I'm going, mm, it was not helpful. So what could I do next time? And then next time Jim does something that I think will irritate me just because it's Jim. I don't actually work with anyone named Jim. Sorry, <laughs> for all the Jims in the audience, we're Jim's not talking about Jim's my stepdad, and he's super awesome. I oh, okay. actually love Jims. Okay. Um, guy at the, irritating guy at the <laughs> office, we'll call it. Yes. We can't do that. I only have one guy at my office, and he's oh, not irritating oh, either. Oh, sorry. All right. All right. <laughs> no, but so we'll, we'll, we'll do this. Um, yes, I get it. As, as we go through, we're going to go back and, and write it down or even just think about it if you're some people need to see things in writing. I really like to see things in writing, so I write it down. But as you get better at it, you can do it in the moment and just go, ooh, wait a minute. I'm going to slow down. So, I'm going to think about this more. So you know, we, when we talk about this work in terms mm-hmm. of the nervous system, which is really what this is, yeah. so is there a way that you get that this, this method taps into that, that awareness, the learning of how we get of, of – it doesn't matter why even – in some cases, but noticing rapid breathing or mm-hmm. noticing sweating or noticing perspiration, noticing something. Yeah. Is that a, is that a piece of this? Absolutely. There's there's another there's some skills that t- kind of tie other skills together. So that we have some more skills that we're going to examine our thinking even more in depth to see to check to see that our thoughts are accurate and oh, you um, mean reality based? Well. well. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah. So well, our pr- we project so much. Yes, we do. Yes. So we've got some Meaning other skills. that you put whatever you're thinking mm-hmm. on to another person. Yeah. I may. I'm hungry. You know. Put on your sweater. Well, that's a little different. Mm-hmm. I'm. I'm. I'm cold. Put on your sweater. That's a little different. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But then um, we do have skills about noticing our physiology and then tying that back to our thoughts. Um, so there is a lot of mindfulness involved. Tell me about that. So, um, so I know we're jumping ahead. Yeah, that's okay. No, that's fine. So there's uh, a way that we can plan for things that we think will be an activating event. So if I am going to um, go into a presentation in front of 20 people, that's not an activating event for me. It might be for some other people. They're like, oh, I have to talk in front of 20 people. But if I have to go and talk in front of 200 people, that is an activating event. And my heart will be racing, and I'll feel nervous, and I'll think, oh, my gosh. And that can lead me to being like, oh, I'm having these symptoms of anxiety. And then it's kind of that that loop. It's feeding into my activating events, making me more nervous. But if I plan ahead, I could go, okay, I know I'm going to be nervous, so um, I'm going to just remind myself that I have planned for this. I'm prepared. I have notes. I'm ready. And then when I feel this little surge of adrenaline that's just my body preparing me to talk in front of 200 people because I know I'm going to need to be loud I'm very quiet so I know I'm going to need to be loud so my adrenaline is going to help me project so just reframing in a more positive way um, what we're anticipating will be so anxiety provoking okay um, I see here we have the energy management mm-hmm. skill of breathing what wow Deliberate breathing. That would be yeah. helpful when you're planning. Absolutely. It? How did, yeah. So right before 
I go and do that presentation in front of 200 people. I can do some deliberate breathing so that I feel calm and centered. I have all the breath that I'm going to need to really project to those 200 people. And it just helps me be calm and focused and in the moment and do a, a good job with that presentation. Tell me more about deliberate breathing for those who may be holding their breaths at the moment. Yeah, it's just that really deep belly breathing. It's a good thing to practice. There's tons of little apps online that you can practice that with. You can just put your hand on your stomach. Well, let's do breathe that unless you're driving, of course. Yeah, that wouldn't be. You can you can breathe deeply, but keep your hands on the wheel. <laughs> Take a deep breath in, and usually a five count works for most people. Breathe in for five seconds, and then... Breathe out. Breathe out. And just do that three or four times, and most people can feel that that calming. We have a, a vagus nerve that is activated when we have those deep breaths, and that can help you feel very calm. Even with my just one deep breath, I'm already slowing down in how I talk, I've As noticed. a matter of fact, we may just be uh, you know cruising through the yeah. rest of this interview. We're now we're very relaxed. so calm. We're good. It's very, very good. So do, how did you do this with the kids? Do they? I do. Tell, yeah. Yes. yes. They do calm. I love doing this with little, little kids. It's so funny to see them go from chattering and wiggling to, to really focusing on their breathing and being in the moment. And then they just slow down for the rest of the, the, rest of the class. And they, they ask questions, but they're more one at a time. And the classroom management just gets so much easier especially with the little ones. Take some breaths. Mm-hmm. Wow. So and a kid, kids start to talk to you, I imagine, and bringing in their own stuff. Yes. Wow. Tell us how that works. Um, I've, I've had a lot of kids come back and tell me which skills that they've used and that like one or two have particularly worked for them in their lives. And I, I have a lot of kids come in and say, you know, I didn't think I was going to use this skill, um, but then my sister or my friend was having this happen, and I taught them this skill, and it really helped that person. So it was this was really useful, even though I didn't think I would ever use it. This this helped me help someone else, and that made them feel really good. They feel really powerful, and they feel really um, just fulfilled by being able to help someone. It makes it makes them feel really good, which also builds their resilience when they feel needed and necessary and helpful and that they can make a difference in someone's life that makes them feel really good. I've had lots of kids share different stories like that. So the idea of, of actually helping each other is is a human desire, I yeah. think. Yeah. I think we find that getting out of our own selves. Yeah, people want to be needed. And I think in our society, we have a hard time being the one accepting help. So I talk about that also in the beginning when we're talking just about the general principles before we get into the skills. You know, we always want to be the one that's providing help. But accepting help is also building community resilience. Because if we're always the person that's providing help, how do you think our friends and family members feel when they're always receiving help from us and relying on us, but we never accept help, even with small things. Like if I'm carrying a stack of boxes and somebody asks if they can help me get the door open or if they if they want me to open the car, you know, and I say, oh, no, no, I got this. How does that make them feel if 
if I can't even rely on them to do small things. You know, if we're, and we're, it's the same at work. We, you know, we, we tend to be like, oh, no, no, I don't need any help. You know, when we're carrying things, when we're doing the little things, it's really good to let other people help us. It helps to build those bonds to know that we can rely on each other um, because nobody's going to rely on each other for the big things if we can't help each other out with the small things. So here you are with a whole bunch of kids. Now they've been, they learned to, to have good thoughts. Mm -hmm. They learned to breathe. What else? Oh, to, uh, oh my goodness, this is the one. Pay attention and be mindful about what's happening around them. Isn't that really what that activating event, thoughts and consequences yeah. is about? That's, that's huge. What happens next? Well, we, we go through all of these skills, and usually after I've, I've built that rapport, then um, I talk to them about some of the issues with substance use and how these skills can prevent substance misuse. And I talk about either vaping or um, other substances with them, depending on what, what the school has decided is uh, most important. So I really like to talk with um, middle school kids about vaping and substance use because at that age they really all understand that it's not healthy, it's not a good idea, and they haven't been exposed to the propaganda from big tobacco yet. So there's not as much um, mind changing that has to happen. Um, they haven't seen the, the ads, then they haven't bought into the the cool factor yet. Um, so they're they're receptive to the fact-based information that we share. Um, and that can help them prevent initiation of substance use. Let's go back a little bit. Sure. Are there some more skills that we forgot? Um, oh, there's like 14 skills. We also do goal setting. Oh, my goodness. And oh, yeah, there are 14 skills. Yeah, there's 14 skills. There's a lot of skills. Well, so I teach them the, the goal setting skill. and It's, it's a, just a seven-step process for um, identifying the goal and getting to um, completing it. And it can be broken down because not every goal is so big that you need all seven steps. So it's kind of modular. You can break it apart. And it's just a very practical skill, um, very nuts and bolts. Um, would you, would seem that some of these other things need to happen mm -hmm. first before you can even know what your goal is. Would you say, or how does that work? Yeah, like, um, what, what, like what's it's, here's one: avoid a yeah. thinking trap or detecting what keeps you stuck. Yep, the avoid yeah. thinking traps and detect icebergs. What does that mean? Most of these can be taught in any order, but yeah. um, the ATC thinking traps and icebergs are taught in that sequence. Yeah, um, because we have to understand that ATC model the activating event, the thoughts and the consequences. And then we look more deeply at our thoughts. So we're going to look at, you know, what are the thinking traps? And they're all basically a flavor of jumping to conclusions. Um, but then there's there's different um, flavors of jumping to conclusions, like mind reading. So thinking that you know what somebody else is thinking or expecting someone to know what you're thinking. Um, me, 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 thinking that you're the sole cause of all your problems. Um, or it's uh, alternative, the opposite, um, them, them, them. We all know somebody that it's never their fault. It's always somebody else or somebody circumstances. Uh, so th those don't usually um, happen at the same time. They're, it's an either or. Uh, but you can have other thinking types. You can have some thinking types where there's two or three in the same thought even. Oh, I love this grabbing control. Yeah. It has to be my way. Yeah. It has to, right? Or... Well, how does that grabbing does that control mean? is is a way to um, 
just kind of it's it's a what's it's a, changeable what's changeable finding out what's changeable when you think um it's um everything if always 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 is about time so um for an example um i got a bad grade on my quiz so i am going to fail this class there's no way i can i can ever dig myself out of this hole and that's a thinking trap because that doesn't just because i got one bad grade does not mean i'm always going to get bad grades so i'm going to grab control what can I change? What can I do? Um, so that might be my, my grabbing control might be I'm going to go talk to my teacher and say, hey, I got a really bad grade on this quiz, but I want to get a good grade in the class. Can I have some extra credit? Can I retake this quiz? What do I need to do? What what grade do I need on the, the next test on the next three quizzes? You know, do I need like a, to have a 97 on everything else to get this back up to a B? Do I need some help? What do I need to do? Do yep. I need some learning help? Do I need some tutoring? Yes, right. So that's that's mm-hmm. about grabbing control um, in a positive way. Okay. Yeah. See, I write it as, yeah. uh, you know, there there's a situation and somebody's uh, deciding that they, they know best. I guess that's the me, 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 me part. Me, me, me is, is yeah, I, I've. I've ruined it. I, I lost this game for us. I missed that last free throw, and I lost the game, not oh. realizing that, you know, if you're playing basketball, free throw must be basketball, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm guessing. Not so good with sports analogies. So, you know, there's a whole other team that's wanting to win the game, too. You had four teammates or more that also probably missed a shot somewhere along the, the way. You have a coach that's it's his or her job to to make sure that you win, you know. So it's not just you you can't win or lose by, by yourself. yourself. So you're going to look outward and say, you know, how did other people or circumstances contribute? And it's all about balance. You don't want to be 100% me 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 and you don't want to be 100% them than them. Like, it's not my fault we lost. I didn't do anything wrong. <laughs> that would be them than them. I'm right. stuck on a team full of losers. My coach is an idiot. He should have <laughs> put me in more. He shouldn't have put me in at all, you know. That's right. just blaming everybody else. So, so, so those are yeah. those those thinking traps that, yeah. that don't move us forward, do no, they? And they don't. we can all learn that. And icebergs. What does it detecting an iceberg mean? Um, an iceberg is a core value or a core belief, and it can fuel these really out of proportion emotions and reactions. So, um, an iceberg is not positive or negative necessarily. Um, it's just something that you believe about the world, or you believe how the world should be, like. Um, I remember I came home one time and my mother-in-law had decided to help me after I went back to work and she washed, dried and put away all my kids clothes and I should have been super happy. But when I went to look in the drawers, they were all in random drawers and I was like super, super like white hot burning rage. Like, why would anybody put things in the wrong drawers? I like had this urge to take the drawer and shake it up upside down. Yes. And, we could talk from uh, yeah, from an astrological yeah, point of view, you know. Are nice you a Virgo? Right? Yeah. <laughs> it's got to be this way. Yeah, it, I I did not understand why I was so angry about this. I'm like, I should have been happy that she helped me. I mean, she washed, she dried, she folded, she put clothes in drawers, but they were in the wrong drawers. Right. And I went through this process, and I realized that I have an iceberg that everything has a place and everything should be in its place and that's the place and that's the place it goes and how can you not know that like so there's also a little bit of a thinking trap like mind reading there going on i expected her to know what that place was so there was a thinking trap and an iceberg and then you know that is not a bad iceberg i think that things should i'm not going to change that iceberg that's not going to change so perhaps the problem solving communication part like Grandma, mm-hmm. 
this is this is the underwear drawer. <laughs> And this is this child's underwear drawer. We just had to have that little conversation. I just said, thank you for doing all the laundry. I have. I said, it's easier for me to get them ready if I know where everything is and I put everything away in a specific way. If you just want to leave it on the table, that'd be super great. And then you don't have to trek through their messy rooms to do that anyway and step on a Lego because oh. I don't want you stepping on a Lego. And she's like, okay. So, you know, I didn't yell at her because I went through this process. <laughs> you know, it could have been... She didn't feel bad about no, putting it in No, she didn't feel bad. And then I didn't feel bad. I never even told her that I was like no. out of control. She won't be raging to this, about this. So oh, you never know. She oh, okay. But we're over it. We all yeah. forgive and we realize it was really all about yeah, you. Resident. It really was. It really was. She didn't do anything wrong. You know, her, she doesn't have an iceberg that things need to go in a specific place, maybe. We're, we're all different, and that's okay. If you just tuned in, I'm Rhonda Feynman. You're tuned to WERU Community Radio. Our guest today on Healthy Options is Tara Young from Healthy Acadia, and we're talking about resiliency. We're talking about intervention with um, kids. And in this, in this model, um, you can also use this model for many, many things with adults. I think we're all learning a lot about how, where we get, get stuck. Oh, yeah. And we're also putting it into a perspective um, that has to do with, with uh, keeping kids um, healthy and off, uh, off substances and opioids. And, and that we can talk more about how, how that's working in, in, in the school's you said working with the younger kids, of course, they mm-hmm. don't have some of those patterns yet. What what happens yeah. when you're, well, you're teaching, but what happens with the older kids who, you know, peer pressure or wanting to be part of the group, I want to be cool, this yeah. doesn't hurt, it's only this. You know? Yeah. So when kids build their resilience skills, they're less vulnerable to substance use. Um, people that have anxiety or depression um, are more vulnerable to substance use and they're more vulner- their brains are more vulnerable Ugh, I can't talk today vulnerable to addiction just because of of what's going on in their brain especially as adolescents and what young people tell us when we do surveys among the young people is the reason they use substances is because of anxiety and depression and particularly social anxiety and they have nothing better to do so those are two big reasons so um, going into primary prevention makes a lot of sense um, if people are using substances because they have nothing better to do and they're feeling anxious or depressed, telling them just if we just focus on telling them why the substance is harmful, what it does to their body, it might not have the impact that we need it to have. But it's giving a them, different part yeah, of the brain. It's a different part of the brain. Giving them the skills to feel less anxiety, to feel less depression, to feel more um, in control, and also building that community resilience where people feel supported is what really is going to get us farther along in preventing substance use. And then um, on the having nothing better to do, I can share some exciting news. Yes. Um, we have just received a new grant to uh, prevent substance use by, uh, from it's, a, it's called the Prevent... Uh, PFS, so the Partnerships for Success grant, it's $300,000 a year um, for five years, and we're going to put $100,000 of that back out into the community as um, we're going to give the community an opportunity to write mini-grants for $1,000 to $10,000 each year to support um, uh, social development, resilience, 
peer-based mental health supports and or structured pro-social activities to help support uh, substance use prevention for youth ages 9 to 20. And so that is another uh, way that we're looking at preventing substance misuse is giving kids those structured, unstructured, or semi-structured things to do. Um, and that's based on the Iceland model of substance use prevention. What does that mean? What is so that model? That model, um, Iceland was having a really big problem with underage the drinking. The country of Iceland. Yeah, the Iceland, the country, which is a, a little bit smaller than Maine. It's about half the size of population-wise of Maine. and But the, the uh, there's a lot of similarities in, in um, ge- geography. You know, it's, it's a cold country. They have a long winter. Um, it gets dark early. <laughs> so there are a lot of similarities between um, Maine and Iceland. And as our Drug Free Communities Coalition was looking at things that have worked in other places, we came across this Iceland model and were really impressed by it. They um, built, they worked on building family connections, so parent-child connections, um, having parents understand and talk to their kids about substance misuse, knowing where their kids are, and giving kids those pro-social things to do. Um, so like one thing that the Drug Free Communities uh, grant has partnered with Camp Beachcliff last year, and we helped to support one of the things that they're doing, which was asked for by young people, was that they wanted uh, a climbing a time to climb on their climbing wall. So Wednesdays and Saturdays they were opening up the climbing wall and letting youth from the area come and, and do some climbing. So that gives young people something to do. It gives them the healthy risk-taking that is developmentally appropriate for that age. So instead of doing something risky like um, trying a vape or a cigarette, they're doing wall climbing. So they're getting some physical activity. They're bonding with their peers. Maybe their parents or their siblings are there too. So they're doing some family bonding, some peer bonding. They're active in the community, and they're doing something positive and pro-social. And so this money is being given to organizations like mm-hmm. It could be a school. It could be um, any any nonprofit group, and and they're working with this model as well. They or? they don't have to be working on the Iceland model specifically, as long as they're doing um, some project that um, promotes pro social activities, healthy development, For resilience, uh, a peer based mental health supports, any or all of those. You know, any combination of those things, then. Um, they would be eligible to apply. Well, anybody can apply, um, but the, so it would be a nonprofit um, entity, and um, so those are the, those are the several goals that we have for those projects. So, how would they get a hold of a Healthy Acadia if anybody's listening and says, "Wait, my program is perfect for yeah, this"? They yeah, they would they would uh, look for our press release and healthy, if they, Acadia. healthy Acadia, they can go to our website, healthyacadia.org and it will be up on our website shortly. This We just got this grant. That's so exciting. Recently, and we're very excited. Um, so we haven't even put the press release out oh my officially goodness. yet. Wow, we're making it, this is making history making right history here. Making right now. Uh, you heard it here first. Um, and now where is this located? Is this just... This which, is in Washington and Hancock Washington counties. Washington and Hancock counties. Yes. Wow. And do you know of other places that are doing this kind of work um, with the kind of things that you're doing, going into the schools and talking about these skills? I don't know of any um, in particular that are doing exactly what we're doing, but 
I'm sure they're out there. Well, it seems like we need to to find out what's happening. Because this is, it's so incredible that you're doing this in Washington and Hancock County, but I know this is not a unique problem. No, it isn't. So um, I think we might, maybe uh, those who are listening out there can uh, get a hold of of Tara Young. And and also I know that you've gotten some... um, uh, working with the uh, Island Health and Wellness Foundation here yes. in in Washington and Hancock County, that they are also doing grants and and working uh, with um, a whole slew of healthy options, as it were, yes. for people in Washington and Hancock. We'd love to see that, I'm sure, in all other parts of of our listening world. Um, I know right now, uh, if, if you are tuned in in the morning of December 4th, um, at, uh, in Stonington at the Opera House, um, tonight, September 4th at 5 p.m., there is something called Recovery Boys, and I believe it's the State of Maine Island Health and Wellness Foundation and the Point North Institute, which is a film institute down in Camden. They've, they're part of the Camden, uh, I think they are, the Camden International Film Festival. Yes. They're doing the Recovery Boys, and it's an Academy Award-nominated director, Elaine McMillan-Sheldon, talking about... Um, Four men uh, trying to reinvent their lives and mend broken relationships after years of drug abuse. I think that should be very interesting. 5 p.m. at One School Street in Stonington. Um, I know that's been shown elsewhere in in the state, but that's what's happening uh, later tonight if you're listening on the 5th of December. And this is going to be the only showing in Hancock County that's planned right as of right now. Um, maybe and it's free. It is free, and there will be food oh. and child care, from oh. my understanding. That's fantastic. Yes. Yeah. It's the 4th. Have I been saying the 5th? I meant the It's fourth. Wednesday. It's yes. Wednesday, December 4th at 5 p.m. Yes. I am so sorry. Let's try that again. Wednesday, December 4th at 5 p.m. Thank you for catching that, everybody. Um, let's continue with the kind of work you're doing. So you're noticing changes. Are you noticing that the kids that are going through these resiliency training, um, all of the things that we're talking about are, are, are having results? Tell me what you're knowing and noticing. I am. As, as I go through um, with, with a group of students from, you know, week one to week six, seven, or eight, however many weeks I have with them, the, the classroom behavior is a lot easier to manage. The kids are um, much more engaged. They get more excited about learning the skills after they've seen that the, the earlier ones that they've, they've learned have worked. And the teachers tell me that, um, that, that they have noticed a difference, especially with the kids who have had a lot of anxiety and, so, and, and that difficulties. That is such, such a, a crisis. Having young people be anxious and depressed. It's a, it's a, do, you, do you deal with um, phone use, with uh, media use and electronic use? Is I that part of it? I don't talk about that, but and I, I've, I've seen a lot of different research. I've read a lot of different research, and I think that most of it, like from what I've read, it, it looks like a lot of it is the social media base where people are constantly comparing their lives to what is going on on social media, and a lot of that is a constructed reality, and it's not actually um it's not real there's there's filters and once people get a a big enough following then they get paid by different companies to hawk a product basically and make their life look amazing and beautiful and 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 they're using this product and that brings us back to substance misuse uh they've used a lot of influencers like that to uh promote 
um, vaping and other substances like that. So one of the things we talk about and you talk about in this work is to reality check Mm -hmm. what's real. So how do you teach kids that? That's I mean, how do you teach some adults that? (laughs) Yeah, that's uh, that's a good question. I also have other than the outside of the resilience, I do a a class on media literacy. And I think it's really important. I mean, there's just not enough time in in the week for for me to be doing media literacy. I, I think that is so important. And parents need to educate themselves about media literacy and talk to their kids about what is real, what is what is marketing, what are the marketers trying to sell to them around so many different products and ideas because advertising isn't just selling us a product, it's selling us an idea of normal and um, it's selling us a lot of values, like so, what we should aspire to do. And it's really, it can be really hard for kids, especially kids that don't have a lot of money to spend on things. Critical thinking. Yeah. Critical what we're thinking. learning is critical thinking, aren't we? Mm-hmm. How to question something that someone says. Yeah. Or and then the reality. What you, you talked about that. What is this real? Did I make this up? Is it a negative thought pattern? Yeah. Um, and this is all part of those fourteen skills that you're talking about. Is there something that we can? And we only we we're, we're getting close to the end. But is there something we can have people learn? Or is there something a takeaway that we could we could do? We did some breathing. That's always yeah. great. I think absolutely is very important to hunt the good stuff and I implemented this in my household by um, when my kids got home from school I would ask them for three good things that happened at school every day and then just talk to them about those three good things and it helped to build their positive um, emotions around school so when they first started school it was it was stressful they didn't you know they didn't want to go they didn't want to be away from home they wanted to be with me so I noticed that just over the course of a week or so, their their attitude changed a lot. So I think hunt the good stuff is the the skill I would I would say for everybody to try. Um, so for yourself, write down three good things every day, or just make a point of noticing three good things every day. And if you have a partner or kids or a good friend, ask them about their three good things every day as well, and then. Um, you know, hopefully they will reciprocate and ask you about your good things, and then you'll get to share your good mm-hmm. things that you've noticed. And that just builds that positive emotion between you and them and spreads some joy around. This is excellent. Uh, we, we do have time left, so while we're, we're putting that in our, in our, uh, our, our mindset, uh, just to let you know, I'm Rhonda Feynman. You're tuned to WERU Community Radio. And we're speaking with Tara Young, coordinator of the Drug-Free Communities Program at Healthy Acadia and a prevention specialist and master resilience trainer. Trainer, um, You have something here called Put It in Perspective. Yeah, I actually don't really like the name of that skill. It no, should be we- more like stop counterproductive thinking because it's not really about perspective. It's more about just stopping counterproductive thinking. So if... I have an activating event that is um, something that seems catastrophic to me at the time. I might start telling myself a story like this is going to happen and now this is going to happen. Like when um, maybe I lost 
something that someone lent to me. Like I, my, I lost my best friend's bracelet that she lent to me. And I, I think, oh, I'm never going to find it. And she's going to be mad at me. And then she's going to tell everybody else that I'm a horrible person because I lost that bracelet that she lent to me. And then everybody's going to be mad at me. And then I'm going to have no friends. And then they're going to start saying bad things about well, me at you work. you know, I think you might as well just, just stop that, right yeah. there. Forget college. Yeah, forget, forget everything. I mean, my life is I mean, over. that's it. You know, yeah. my, my catastrophic thing always ends yeah. up with me under a bridge homeless and alone having my face eaten off by zombies you know and it, it can always get Tara, there i'm so sorry but <laughs> and you know yes, it doesn't happen know. often but you know and then from the first step to the second step it seems logical but from the first step to the last step you know that's not logical and we know it's not logical but we can't sometimes shake ourselves out of it so this skills also very easy you just sit down and you just let that that story play itself out it helps to write it down and put a box around it because then the worst thing that can happen is literally in a box and then go right to the best case scenario and make that equally as ridiculous um you know maybe someone handsome's gonna find it and he's gonna give it back to her and they're gonna get married and i'm gonna be the maid of honor and she's gonna be so happy that i lost her bracelet and we're gonna be best friends forever <laughs> and this guy also is a prince and he's got a brother and i'm gonna marry the, you know it's gonna be great and you know that this is equally unrealistic, but it helps to kind of realize that, okay, this other one's probably realis- unrealistic too. And like we talked about before, though, that jolt of positive emotion helps us to be more creative and more realistic in our thinking. It helps to build optimism. So then I can go on to, okay, what's really the most likely scenario here and what's likely going to happen? And I'm going to put that down on a piece of paper. My friend is going to be mad. She's going to be upset. Her feelings are going to be hurt. So I need to make a plan. So then, you know, when I'm doing this, kids, I, I say, so what should my plan be? And sometimes they'll say, you could lie to her. And then I'm like, mm. okay, well, well, then what could happen? Or I say, you know. Yeah, that's a what resilient a, Yeah, thought. I'm like, mm, okay, well, let's play that out. Let's see what happens. And then, uh, you know, the other kids are like, no, then they'll find out and then you'll be in more trouble. I'm like, okay, so I can tell my friend what happened and I can apologize and I can... You know, I can look for it. We can go out and look for it. I can retrace my steps. And then, you know, I may find it. I may not find it. But this is this is the plan. This is what I can do. And then it puts it, you know, I, I figure out what's, what's most likely going to happen. I make a plan for that, and I carry out that plan. And it just stops that catastrophic thinking that keeps me in that place where I can't do anything productive. And it helps me move forward in a productive manner. I'm feeling actually quite... I have the sensation of, of calm and relaxation as we discuss this. It seems yeah. not getting caught up in the yeah. sto- in the in the fear, mm-hmm. isn't it? And when we're talking yeah. about anxiety, we can get very fear based. Yeah, it can. It, and you know, we don't we don't take that that longer approach. Look at it. You know, we we tend to to just go down the, those rabbit holes of all the bad things that can happen, and you know, this this can work for big problems or small problems because we tend to blow our problems out of proportion. So we can make a mountain out of a molehill or we can make Mount Everest out of a mountain. Um, so it can work for big problems. It can work for small problems that we're having some anxiety over. And it always just helps get us into that frame of mind where I'm going to figure out what's really the most likely thing that's going to happen and I'm going to plan for that. And I'm going to carry out that plan. And then, of course... We can't control everything, we so can't. then we have to live in that mm-hmm. that part of. Even if we have all the good assertive 
yeah. communication and character strengths that sometimes yeah. things just happen. Yeah. And that is a learning, too, yeah. that, wow, I did all of these things. Mm-hmm. Mrs. Young, I did it all, Tara. <laughs> and, 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 wow, this bad thing still happened. So yeah. how do we, you know... Do we use those skills? I'm sure we just that use comes them too. We just whip them right out again and, and go through it again if we have to. And that's okay. That's what they're there for. Maybe we try a different skill. Maybe something else needs to happen. You know, maybe yeah. I need to use the, that ideal communication. Maybe I need to use problem solving. Maybe I need to save up some money and buy my friend a new bracelet. So I need to use goal setting. <laughs> oh, right, the goal setting. <laughs> yeah. See, now we're getting back to the goal yeah. setting. That, Right. What? Feeling like uh, I'm, I'm, I have strength. I'm, I'm mm-hmm. not going to be a victim of somebody's negativity. Right. And just realizing that things are always going to happen, but we have a lot of control over how we react to it, what we think about it, and what we do about what happens. And we're responsible. Mm-hmm. And, but, and with the idea of doing the best you can. Exactly. M- much like we started, uh, this idea is that the positive thinking or resourcing or whatever, the going for the good stuff, what do yeah, we call hunt it? Hunt the good stuff. Yeah, is, is um, not to diminish right. real problems. Absolutely and not, not to diminish, but are tools to actually help us and help kids and help adults yeah. work through those real things. Absolutely. Yeah. So do, do, uh, so you're seeing, you're seeing that happen. Is it different? Obviously it is with working with the little ones and, and the teenagers, by the teenage years, they already have their whole sense of being cool or whatever. Yeah. I actually, I don't find it any more difficult to teach these skills mm. to the older kids because they understand them cognitively at a deeper level than some of the young ones do. So, um, and getting buy-in really isn't usually that difficult. You have some resistance at first, but once... Once they really see the examples, it's very interactive. Um, so we we show them an example, uh, you know, and I use real examples from my own life. So they they know that it's real sometimes, and then they 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 see how it works, and then they get to practice it with their own examples, and they don't have to share that with the group. They can just right. practice that on their own, and they can ask for help if they want it, but they don't have to tell anybody. But they can see how it works right there in the moment. This is so. This is so great, Tara Young. From uh, we could continue on and on and on, and I think we have run out of time. And I cannot even believe that's the case. We this has just flown by. So we're going to be what? Tell us the, that skill again. The resource. The hunt the good stuff. Hunt the good yeah, stuff. We're hunt the good so stuff. So let's today. just hunt the good stuff as we go out in our day right now and do some breathing. Just want to let you know, if you have just tuned in, it's the end of the show. (laughs) Thank you, Tara Young, for being with us on Healthy Options today. Thank you so much for having me. We'll have links to information that was mentioned when we post the show in the Healthy Options archives, and that can be found in the public affairs section of weru.org. If you missed any part of this program or would like to share it, please go to weru.org to find our recent programs on demand. And after it posts, it'll be on the Healthy options archives in the public affairs section yes many thanks to amy brown for engineering to petra hall for production assistance thank you also to all our dedicated weru listeners and supporters this is Rhonda feynman wishing you the best in health